Well, good morning, Living Word Fellowship Church. How are y'all? Hey, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this. I shouldn't say it because I'm going to get in trouble with the second service people. But y'all always hype, and I love it. I'm going to say a word that may confuse you, but in certain terminologies, you will be saying, for eight, 8 o'clock service, be lit. You know what I'm saying? Y'all be little litty. Well, it's good to be in front of you. We're going to continue with Youth and Children's Month, but again, don't turn your hearts off. This sermon is for everybody. I want to let you know this in advance that this sermon is challenging because it's truthful. It's not challenging because Pierre is adding any of Pierre's touches on the Word of God. But what I do challenge you to do is to search your heart and to ask yourself, even in the minute part of your lives, how do we practice exactly what Peter is fixing to do? So my heart for you, I know the notes are lengthy. I know they are quite long because the marketing team called me and said they're too long. So if you can't read it because it's in small font, that's my fault. Um, so put on your bifocus and get ready, because not only are we going to get out in time, <laughs> you better keep up. Now, nah, I'm excited. Look, y'all, 8 o'clock, I'm going to tell you a nickname that we call you from the left side. We call y'all Migos. Now, don't, y'all don't know what that is. It's okay. Migos is a rap group that also ad-libs, and y'all are like the best ad-libbing 8 o'clock service. So don't turn it off for me. I'm just joking. All right, so let us pray. Let us enjoy the Word of God. As you know, this is Versus Month, meaning that the Word of God versus what we want to do and what the world tells us we are. So if you know you're going to get into a Versus, but this is a bad Versus because you're going to lose this battle every single time. And I tried my best to explain it last Sunday, but Versus is often what happens in our modern-day IG culture slash whatever culture is that they go against each other. So today... We're going to find out if you've been going against Jesus, against the word, and I pray that you will follow me in the scripture today. We are thankful to have you, all jokes aside. We love you. We love, I love being in front of you. I'm always humbled to be in pastor's stead, but I also recognize I can never replace him. I can only be me. Is that okay? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to dive into your word. God, you are amazing. You are awesome. You are you're just good all by yourself. So nobody needs to see me today. They just need to see the beauty of the Word of God. They just need to see the beauty of what you have done and will do. So if their hearts are in tune with you, there's no way any of us, including me, can walk out of this sanctuary unchanged. So I pray our hearts are not hardened in any area, not just in our whole heart, but I pray that we're not tuned out because it's Youth and Children's Month, whether online or in person. I pray that if we're not even in sitting in the comfort of our own beds or in this sanctuary, I pray that we will be able to say, God, you change me. I am begging for you to search me, know me, and try me. That means test the very nature of who I am. So, God, I pray for even myself that my heart is soft, ready to be used by you as an empty vessel, ready to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So everything I say is underneath your influence. God, you are good. So, God, I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I often say this because this has changed over time, and I'm not talking about any parent in here, so don't be mad at me. But parenting used to be a little bit different, right? It just did, and that's okay. 
But back in the day, if you had company over, you weren't allowed to walk or engage in the conversation. Wow, I just got amens off of that. I love 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, I'm like, amen. I'd be like, I tied my shoe yesterday. Amen, come on. <laughs> and you weren't allowed to, like, let's say it was a table conversation and you had to eat your food. You were not there to engage. You were there to eat your food and go back to your room. Am I mistaken? No, no, no. So once you finished eating, you got up, you cleaned your place, you made sure it looked good, you wiped all your dust crumbs off, and then you would walk out. But the moment you decided to butt in the conversation, especially without saying what? Excuse me. And then when you got up from the table, what'd you have to say? Excuse me from the table. That was just your nice way of saying my behind doesn't belong here. And after you did that, you weren't allowed to come back to the table and then try to re-engage. It was your job to stay away as long as you could while your mom and your dad fake laughed and did a whole bunch of conversations you had no idea what they were doing. Because you were supposed to know your place. And when company was around, that wasn't your place. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have their company, that's not your place to come butt in. You better excuse yourself from the table and do as exactly as you told. Go clean the dishes. Excuse and go to your room. Because when the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit start talking, you best get out the way. It is not your job to butt in. It is not your job to tell them what you think. It is not your job to engage in the conversation. It is your job to do exactly as you were told beforehand. So today, my prayer is that some of us will back away from the table and stop telling God what you think. This is an adult conversation. My prayer for some of us is that you've been telling God, I don't want to do this. My husband doesn't deserve this. My wife don't deserve this. My children don't deserve this. And our youth have been saying, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do me. I'm going to date who I want. I'm going to enjoy what I want to enjoy. And God's saying, get your behind away from the table. Go wash them dishes as I told you, because this is not an A and B conversation. See your way out. I went old school for y'all. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, we're going to turn to a verse where somebody saw their way into a conversation when they were just supposed to be receiving instruction. See, sometimes it's not about you opening your mouth. It's about you ability to listen and hear what God wants to reveal. But all of this matters with context. In Matthew 16, before we get to verse 21, we're going to read that together. Before we get to verse 21, God, Jesus has told Peter that he will be the rock of the church. This is good news for Peter. This is exactly what he would like to hear, that Peter would be a foundational part of the body of Christ, that he would be a foundational part of building up what God and Jesus intended. If you just want to see it, they say in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because of the flesh and the blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will now overpower it. I know Pastor Tony Evans at Acts 2 Houston did a good job of breaking this down, so I will not go back, and you can watch that on YouTube. That's not my job to break that down today, but I will tell you is Peter was excited. What I will tell you is that Peter actually liked the information that was given. You're like, Pierre, why is this important? Because he's not going to like the next information. So before I even dive into this message, some of us like sermons and we don't like sermons. Some of us like our devotions when it speaks to us, when it tells us, when it blesses us. But we don't like it when somebody comes and tells you your truth. So Peter gets an opportunity to respond well, both the good and bad news. How many of us respond the same way? 
This is important. Because the reason why America's Christianity is so torn up is because we go to preachers where they give us all the information we want to hear. But you're at Living Word Fellowship Church. You're not going to get everything you want to hear. Some of us got to learn to receive both good and bad news. Today is the bad news. Because I want to ask you, are you Peter when it comes to verse 21? Because in verse 21, Jesus says, it is from this time. Now, you got to understand this in a second. You're going to get to the first point. It says, from this time. I'm going to start to show you. It says this, from that time Jesus began to show. Now, you're like, Pierre, why is that even important? From this time. If you don't know anything about this historical context, and I'll be quick with this, Jesus was spending a lot of his time in Galilee. Now, you don't need to know all this. My dissertation has a whole paragraph on this. He was spending a lot of time where he was well-received by people. That means everybody was in cohesion. Now, he had a couple bumps in the road, but it wasn't what he was going to experience in Jerusalem. So when he was in Galilee, he was saying, from this time, I'm, fixing, I'm six months away from going to the cross. So let me start training you for what I'm fixing to go do. Bear with me. I need to pre-train you because you will experience this later. This is going to matter when we get to Peter's response because some of us don't like the pre-training because we like to enjoy the Galilee moment. We like when everybody is our fanfare. Bottom line is we like the good news, but in reality, there's some preparation for your storm. There's some preparation for what you're going to encounter and what you didn't even see coming, but let God prep you, please. That's why premarital counseling. Why? Because we're trying to prep you, please. Even if you're in your moment, even if you feel like there's nothing going to happen to this couple, we rock solid. We've been together two months now in high school. We're going to make it. Even when that happens, that prep matters. So it says from this time, not only was he six months away, but it matters where he was because he was on his way to Jerusalem where we know that he was going to encounter this word called suffering. But before I get there, it says he began to show. Now, this also is important, not only what he's starting to talk about, but it says this. I was fixing to give them a message of what being a disciple really meant. They, they had the fake conversation, not fake, they had the glorious conversation, and we'll talk about that in a second. But not only do I want them to hear this information, I'm not I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to show you. But watch this. Show doesn't mean that I'm not going to only exemplify this. I'm going to make it vividly clear. You don't know it's coming, but I'm going to show you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop for a second. God is sometimes showing you by what you are going to experience so you can understand it now. Jesus was trying to make discipleship very clear so that when they would experience it, they would be prepared for what they were going to experience. So I know I said this before, but I want you to get this very clear, that when Jesus talks, it's very clear. There's nothing confusing about what he wants to tell you. He wants to tell you the exact truth of what will help you in your life. The problem is, will you receive it even if it doesn't match what you just heard? The reason why some of us, including myself, say it's confusing because we don't want to hear it in the first place. Second thing to that. The reason why some of us think that it's confusing is because it doesn't match what we want to hear. Hear this. If somebody says, do this. Hey, I want you to go back in that house and love your wife, even after the argument where you knew she was wrong. 
That seems confusing, but it's not. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The only reason that sometimes we find things confusing because it conflicts with our very nature. But it's not a confusing message. So therefore, the youth, I would tell you this. Sometimes we say the Bible is confusing. It's only confusing because you, you don't want to understand it. How can you understand U.S. history, American history, calculus and pre and algebra, but you can't understand or dig into the word of God? It's because you don't want to understand it. So let's be a little honest about it. If you study just as hard for your test that you study for the Word of God, some of us would understand it. Because I can't even understand algebra, and I tried to go back. And I still don't understand algebra. But I passed those tests. I made A, B, and C turn into a number. So if I can do that at 16, there's no way you can't say the Bible's not trying to show you something. It's vividly clear that he's going to tell them, but watch this. He says, show his, what, who, who is he showing? Disciples. See, look, this is what I love about Jesus. There's moments where the crowd gets to hear some, some news. But there's also a time where the crowd can't even understand what Jesus is fixing to show some select people. Meaning there is a select group that have an opportunity to hear what will prep them for his leadership. So my point is, is that some of us, when he gave us the word of God, he said, you are my disciples. I'm giving you a vividly illustration of what you will experience that nobody else can understand. So once you get the beauty of the salvation that you experience and the Holy Spirit that illuminates the scripture to you, you have this experience where Jesus will turn to you. Maybe you don't get that. When there's times when Jesus was teaching a crowd, right? And he just he's just illustrating, but then you ever you never notice in the gospels he says, and then he turns to his disciples. So here's what I hate that we often don't treasure is that when you open up the word of God, guess what Jesus is doing to you? Turning to his disciples. There's a moment where the message is for the crowd, and there's a moment where the message is only for you. So stop telling everybody, stop waiting for the crowd to understand the message that Jesus has only given you. When you go to school, youth, and the people ain't following what you're following, don't think the crowd is right. The crowd is wrong because Jesus turned to you when you have your devotions and said, do something different. But sometimes the youth only want to follow what everybody else is calling right. When in reality, God is saying, my message is only for you. Parents, youth, anybody. When you open up the word and you see God speak to you, that's just for you. Stop trying to hold everybody accountable for what God reveals to you. We walk around trying to hold our husbands accountable for what God taught you. We trying to walk around our coworker who we know ain't saved and trying to show them, hey, I don't know why you're not kind. She's not supposed to be kind. You were. I don't know why my job's not loving. They ain't supposed to love you. You're supposed to love your enemy. That was God's message to you. That's not confusing. It just doesn't match. So it goes on, and I know I hung my hat a little bit, and it says this. He must go to Jerusalem. I already illustrated why that place mattered, because he was going to a place where he will, watch these words, suffer many things. The word suffer just means to go undergo. Mass, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just put it a better way. He's not going there to get tickled. 
he's going there so he can take on the sins of mankind, where he will be opposed at every turn, where he will suffer at the hands of where he's going to say the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees. I want you to get this, is that he knew he was fixing to die. So there's no message that I'm going to skip over that we're not going to illustrate what he meant by that passage alone, that he's going to go to die to Jerusalem. And if you're not saved today, I want you to get this message very clear that Jesus knew beforehand that his purpose on earth was to die. That's how much he loved you, that he came and left his holy glory, Philippians chapter 2, to go back down to earth to die on the cross for our sins. He was going to Jerusalem for a purpose. It was time. So for you don't know about the beauty of who we serve, just know that he was ready to serve you even before people even knew it. Now, you're like, well, Pierre, make that make sense. Is that the leadership right now, watch this for a second, the leadership right now is fixing to oppose him, and he knew it. He tells them, he tells them who are the people you should suspect. It's the elders, it's the chief priests, and the scribe, and he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I will be killed and raised up on the third day. I don't have time for too much theology, but he's saying at the hands of these people, which we all know happened what? Futuristically is at the hands of these people, they led him into what? The trial, which led to his death. But then he said, then I will be raised up because who raised him up? Is that we know God's power raised him up from the grave. All these words matter because guess who's speaking and he don't miss a beat. I guess my point to you is when he is prophesying about his death and resurrection, he didn't miss He didn't even miss a word. He didn't even put it. He put it in the right context. He put it in the right wording. He made sure he didn't say that I will raise myself up. He said God will raise me up. I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is if God gives you details to the message, don't miss a detail. Hear me, please. Jesus is not using words on accident. So if you sleep for one part of the message, wake up and said that wasn't my favorite sermon, that might be because you missed the context. Because he doesn't use words on accident. When you're doing your devotions, you fall asleep, wake back up and say, amen, you are missing the word. Because he is trying to give you detail to every word. He wants you to know what could be coming. He is trying to tell you when you go to your high school, when you go to your elementary school, when you are going to your junior high, when you go there, you will suffer because you're representing who? Me. You're not supposed to experience all the beauty of this world. You will experience suffering. I'm trying to pre-warn you because if they hated me, they definitely going to hate you. I just want to warn you, though. So stop asking a world to accept somebody who rejected Jesus. And stop asking leaders of this world to accept Christianity than when the leaders we already know will reject Jesus. And I'm going to say the sad part. Sometimes the people you think will accept you won't accept you. And this is for the youth. We're asking people in this world to accept us, even leadership, even people in the church who rejected you. And you're like, I don't understand. I thought Christians were supposed to love me. But if the chiefs and the scribes and the Sadducees can all reject Jesus and the whole Sanhedrin can reject Jesus, what do you think some people are going to do to you? That's the best choice of words for everybody. Stop looking for people's acceptance in the first place. Christianity was never about acceptance. It was about leadership and willing to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the gospel. It was never supposed to be for your acceptance. Because if we all waited for man's approval, oh Lord, you'd get exactly what American Christianity is today. Where I hoop, I holler, just so you can accept my preaching style so we can all walk out with a good offering. And that ain't happening. All right. You got that point. 
I just wanted you to understand that details matter, truth matters. So if you get that the truth matters, then you would obviously have to ask yourself a question. It's verse 22. Verse 22, it says this, Peter took him. Oh, Lord. Y'all heard this passage before. But guess what? Every part of this passage matters. Every word, don't skip it. Peter took him. Now remember, Peter's walking around with a new bravado. I am the foundation, the rock of the church. Peter took Jesus away from the other disciples. If you look at the Greek, it literally means he intimately called his attention to the side. We're going to learn something in a second about Jesus' response to being took somewhere. But before we even get there, let me explain something to you. I remember I told you you got to know your place. Yeah, you got to know your place. I don't think my son knows his place. It's me and my wife's 15-year anniversary. So I was in the room, and I decided to show him. And my daughter, I decided to show them both. Hey, this is where I'm going to take mommy for our anniversary. And Everson turns to me, he's like, man, I want to go there. <laughs> First no, you're going to kill the vibe. Number two, my daughter turns and she looks on the screen and she says, Daddy, that is beautiful. How come you're not taking me there? No. That's not your place. You see that king-size bed? That's for two people. You see that beach that we can't afford? That's for two people. When I put my brown feet, that black feet into the sand, and my color turns from a nice caramel to a nice dark milk chocolate, that's for me and mommy. They didn't know their place. They forgot that I wasn't supposed to take them there. Peter thinks he can take people places. He's out of his place. He's saying, hey, I don't understand why you want to talk about this. You won't die. Oh. So I'm asking some of y'all, as you look at your screen and God shows you vividly what he's going to do, how many of you are taking Jesus somewhere? How many of you are saying, I want to go there? And Jesus is looking at you like, no, you don't. This ain't for you. This is not, this is not the sand you want to step on. But you like, no, no, you don't understand. What the crazy part of the rest of that story is, guess where I'm taking Everson? I'm taking him with me to camp. Sometimes you forget what God is doing, worried about what he's doing. Hear me. Is that Peter already, God already, Jesus already told Peter what he's going to do. But he forgot about what he's going to do, worried about what Jesus was going to do for him. Some of us are more concerned about what Jesus is doing for you than what he's already doing and what he will do. You get lost. But watch what he says next. He took him, meaning I intimately are going to call your attention. And then Peter decides to do something even more ignorant. Peter was bold is the best choice of words. Peter decided to speak. This is, and watch the next word, rebuke him. Now, you got to be, now, this is, this is, you got to be one dumb fella. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. Now, watch these next couple words. This shall never happen to you. He wasn't ready for the truth. 
He says, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Now, now let's go back up all the way to 17. This is important. Did you see Peter reject the good news? Let's go back to 17. Did Peter reject when he said you're going to be the rock of the church? No, he only rebuked Jesus when he didn't like what he was saying. So I guess I'm asking you right now, how many of us rebuke Jesus? You're like, Peter, I would never rebuke. I would never correct Jesus. I would never lead Jesus back to the truth. But we do it all the time. When Jesus tells us to do something that we don't like, guess what your behavior tells Jesus you're doing? I'm going to rebuke you because I'm going to do what I want anyways. So some of us got to stop and saying, oh, I would never rebuke you. I would never pull him to the side. Oh, yes, we do. All of us have done it. Where we say, Jesus, I know what you said I'm going to do. I know what you said you're going to do. But let me take you to the side and tell you what I'm going to do. If that's not true, look at divorce rates among Christians. If that's not true, look at our youth that walk around and walk, talk, and look and act like everyone else. If that's not true, look at our inner cities that are struggling, that we need to help be a part of the fix and the problems. Look at the absentee fathers and absentee mothers. Look at the foster system. If you don't believe that we're not telling Jesus what we're going to do, just look around. But don't look too far. We can look right in this sanctuary. Because many of us have said, you know what, Jesus, I hear you. I understand that you're telling me to love my husband and love my wife. I hear you. I know that you told me that my singleness is precious and the time that I have is for him. I hear you. I know that the things you're telling me to do, I should do. I've been to church my entire life, but how many have been to church and nothing changed? So don't tell me that we don't hear it, that he hasn't showed you vividly. Just say, you know what, I took him to the side. Pierre, there's been times in Pierre's life, Pierre Cannon's, where I've took him to the side. There's been times when Natalia was sick, when I took him to the side and said, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to suffer. Can I just give you a hint before I even get to the next point? Right after this, guess what Jesus starts to teach him? That I'm going to suffer, and discipleship, you will suffer. This was a prep message. This was the intro to the message. That he was trying to get to understand, hey, I'm fixing to go die, but guess what you'll do? You're going to die too. But guess what? You were like, Pierre, here's some irony to the story. If we go a little bit further, what happens when Jesus starts to suffer? What happened to Peter? He denied him three times. So here's the crazy part. You think you got the message until you actually have to face the message. That this man was like, I rebuke it. And guess what? He still did. Because he wasn't willing to listen to the warning. So therefore, if he would have listened to the warning, he wouldn't have been running. He would have took it all along. He would have said, well, let me listen. Let me sit down, Jesus. Go ahead and teach me so I can be prepared for you to die and raise up. I can be excited. But guess who was at his grave? Those ladies were at the grave. They had to go get Peter because he missed the message. So I guess what I'm asking you is, what message has Jesus been trying to give you lately? What has he been showing you in your singleness? What has he been showing you at your school? What has he been showing you during this summer? What has he been showing you with your relationship to your parents? What has he been showing with your relationship with the people you're supposed to forgive? What about those people that you say, I will never forgive them? They deserve every consequence coming their way. What about the enemies that you say, I will never love? I will never love my enemies. I'll never pray for them. What about those people that God is saying, here is your message? 
And finally, after a while, you realize I'm not escaping the message. It's going to happen because he warned me about it. Sadly, if we wait, sometimes it's too late, and then we end up cussing out people we wasn't supposed to cuss. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Peter, he started to let that thing loose because he wasn't ready. If you listen to the warning, guess what? You'll be ready. So what's your warning? Man, I, I love warnings. Dad was good at them. But my favorite thing about being a parent is you could say silly things like this. You ready? That's on you. That's what I love about parenting. You, you have no idea what you're really saying. Let's be honest. You don't know what that's on you. You don't even know the consequences that's going to come. But what you can say are these very light-threatening but real-threatening things because you have the power. You can say things like, I wouldn't do that. Come on, everybody said this. If that was me, I tried to what? Remember when that kid, you said, stop jumping on the bed, and you left the room, and then you got to go back in the room after they bumped their head, and you had to say silly things like this? As they crying, got stitches, I tried to warn you. That's on you. If you would have, you wouldn't have bumped your head. Jesus telling you the same thing. Some of y'all got stitches. You wasn't supposed to have stitches. Some of y'all, we have some scars. We wasn't supposed to have scars. Some of y'all's past is a result of you not listening. And Jesus looking at you like, I'm going to help you up. I'm even going to take you to the hospital. I'm going to help restore what you broke. But that's still something you chose because I warned you. I love it. Because Jesus still holds the power. But let me get further into Peter because Peter's response matters. He says, I rebuked him. And then he says some other foolish mess. Let's read it together. He says, took him to the side and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. Oh, this is big. May God be gracious to you. That's what that word means. Think think about what he just said to, to Jesus. Because he still calls him what? Lord, that means he knows he's the Messiah, but is not treating him like it. Oh, remember, the passage above, Peter is calling him the Messiah. That means they are fi- the disciples have finally got the message that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised for eternity. His, Peter has finally clicked, but it didn't click hard enough. I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is that sometimes we understand it's Jesus until he says something we don't like. Because You wouldn't say, may God be gracious to you, Lord. Lord meant, I know who you are. I know what you're promised to do. But if you knew what he was promised to do, then why are you telling God to forbid it? It doesn't make sense. What it means is he didn't know what Messiah meant. What it means is that he liked the title of calling him Lord, but he didn't like what the Lord had to do. Some of us like the church. We love the title of God because then God gives us blessings on blessings on blessings. Everybody stands up during that song. <laughs> blessings on blessings on blessings. Oh, shucks. <laughs> this is my jam. Rain down blessings. We, we, the blessing word has been overplayed at this point. Because we, we like that Lord. 
We like the Lord when we say he owns the fields. He's with me in the valley. He wipes my tears. But then when you're like, nah, you're going to cry? You're like, nah, that ain't that. That's not my Jesus. When we say sometimes your blessings is your suffering, that you are blessed to suffer in his name, that's not the Jesus we want to hear about. When Jesus tells you, hey, if, you, if not everything is promised as far as everything's going to be good for you, that you will experience the results of sin in this world, that you'll have your Lazarus experience, that you'll have, some of us will have our Job experiences. Do you still love Jesus then? Or will you turn to Jesus and take him to the side and say, hey, not this Lord. May God be gracious to you. The most ironic part of this statement is simple. That was God's grace. How will you turn to somebody and say, may God be gracious, but it's actually God's grace that Jesus was going to die on the cross for his sins. Sometimes the thing that we want is contradictory to God's purpose. Hear this. Sometimes the thing we're begging God not to do to us is exactly what God wants to do for his purpose. It is his grace. We're begging God for this. We're asking God for that because we think we know what the Lord should do. And God's like, if you would just stop pulling me to the side so that I can keep doing what I got to do, you would recognize this is exactly what you need. Stop asking God to be gracious when I'm fixing to be gracious in the first place. It's an ironic, contradicting statement that Peter didn't even know what he was saying. But sometimes a lot of us, including Pierre Cannings, have a tendency to speak before we think. We have a tendency to ask for prayer requests. We don't even know what we're asking for. Like praying for a car, even though we know we can't afford it. And then asking God to provide for the car payment that you just bought. And that was your blessings on blessings on blessings. Rather than saying, God, thank you for letting this car keep running that I have. Nah, y'all don't, y'all don't feel me on that one. I, these cars better last 12 years for me. Then he says something dumber. This, watch these words, shall never happen to you. A man is telling the Lord, this shall never happen. You, you, this is his rejection of him saying, hey, this in no way is his confidence in himself. Now remember, Peter from Galilee was fishing. Now all of a sudden he hears a message that he likes and he's willing to tell the Lord what won't happen. So I guess I ask you, don't forget who you was, Peter. You was fishing a couple of years ago. That was your career. You heard like four messages and now all of a sudden you think you're going to tell Jesus what's not going to happen? So then I look at some of us, including Pierre Cannon, who's only been saved since he was five. And who am I to be in God's grace and then tell God what he's going to do with it? You got to hear that one more time. Who am I that wakes up every morning in God's grace and tell God what to do with his grace? And say, this will never happen, God. Isn't that foolish? To turn and tell God, that's not going to happen. See, remember, this was verses month. And some of us are actually trying to battle God. Some of us are trying to say, God, this ain't going to happen to me. And I'm God's like, no, you're going to suffer. Some things ain't going to be perfect. 
You can try to avoid it. You can try to avoid your marriage. You can date whoever you want. You can go to school and act a plum fool. But sooner or later, I'm going to walk back in that room with that bump on your head and say, I tried to warn you. Don't tell me what's not going to happen. But live in the grace in which it happened to you with. Now, let's move on to Jesus' response, right? That Jesus says, hey, hey Peter, I, um, I heard you, but this is the, remember I told you every word matters? Because I said Peter took him, which means gently to the side. Now, watch Jesus. Took, and then watch this next word, turned. Woo-hoo. But he, but he turned. Oh, man. Now, I want you to imagine this. Walk with me. For those online, I, I, keep up. We're almost done. He's walking. There's two ways you can take that word turn. Either Jesus is looking at Peter and turns his back to Peter, back to the disciples. A. B, he was never looking at Peter in the first place. So as Peter is thinking that he's directing Jesus, Jesus ain't even paying attention. And finally, when he says what he says, Jesus says, excuse me? (laughs) So if we're going with option B, my fear for everyone in the sanctuary is that you get too much confidence and you start telling Jesus what he's going to do. But when he turns, beware. Or if he turns back, that means he's no longer paying attention to what you have to say. Both of them ain't good. So I guess instead of you talking, if you want intimate time with Jesus, that's always available. But how about you stop talking to him and start listening to him? Because you don't want him ever to turn. I was grilling. This is where that band, this band-aid come from. I'll be honest with you. I can't grill, but I try. I was grilling the other day, and, or yesterday, or Friday, whatever it was, and there's this thing called a chimney that I use that my brother-in-law told me to buy because they all can grill. And he was like, buy the chimney, put your coals on top, paper on bottom. You light the paper, it goes up, it gets your coals white, and then you put the, so you can cook faster. I don't know. I just do what they tell me. But the chimney was hot. I just put some more coals on so I could finish cooking for the Acts 2 Houston board. And I, we were rushing, so I had to do two batches of coal. So I was rushing. It was muddy, so I, I, the chimney is hot because the coals were hot. So I decided to put the chimney, now on the concrete, I tried to put it on the grass. But when I put it on the grass, because it was a little muddy, it started to tip over. So my silly behind, in a rush of it, not thinking through it, I reached down and I grabbed the chimney before it fell over. It is simmering hot. So now when I jerk back, I realize that I have a big hole in my finger. Because what has been simmering hot is not for you to touch. So when Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God get get together and create a simmering hot message, I don't think it's your place to reach out and touch it. That some of us are putting our hands on things that's too hot for us to handle. That some of us are telling God what we're going to do only for you to reach out, look at your finger, and realize a piece of your finger is missing. And guess what's fixing the missing Peter? Because Jesus, when he turns, you're going to miss a piece of your finger. Because he says right here to Peter, get behind me. This one makes you, should make you tear up if you've ever been in this position. Get behind me, but not just you. Satan. Whoo! This is verses month. 
Jesus just pulled out his hottest track. If you ever watch verses, I'm sorry, I know this is an 8 o'clock service. Jesus just pulled out his hottest track. And you was going back and forth with Jesus, like, look, Jesus, I'm going to show you my new track. And Jesus looked at him and he says, I'm going to drop this beat. And I'm going to tell you to get behind me because you know this didn't go platinum. That's what he's fixing to say. But he didn't just say, get behind me. He made sure he put him in a proper placement. Because when we rebuke Jesus, but you got to get the word get behind. Get behind means get back in line. Remember I said that you got to know your place? Peter, get back in your place. You shouldn't have took me to the side in the first place. It was never your position to even grab me gently by my back and tell me what I'm not going to do. So when you sit down for your devotions and God says, go do this, go do that, go do this, go do that, it is never your position to say, God, I don't want to. All you're going to ask is how. Send me. When you go back into your high school after this year and you're saying, God, I don't want to tell nobody about Jesus, God's like, no, 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 that's not the question. When you go back into your junior high and you're like, I don't want to be the person who always does the right thing, that's not the question. The question is how. But Peter, when he says, get behind me, he was saying, get out of my sight. Oh, this is what I don't want Jesus to ever have to tell me. Get out of my sight. So I ask you now is that sometimes we don't realize when we decide to go against and we go versus the word of God in that warning. And you wonder why you feel a distance between you and God? Because Jesus looked at you and said, get in your proper place and get out of my sight. Jesus lets you take him into intimacy. That's not the problem. Is that when you take the intimacy and abuse it and tell him what you're not going to do, he's going to put you right back where you belong. Get out of my sight, Satan. Now, if we take it back to the beginning of the book, why would he call him Satan? Two reasons, and I'll be quick. Satan was a what? A tempter. What happened to Jesus when Jesus, when he knew Jesus came on the earth to die? He tried to tempt him not to die. So the reason why Jesus turns to Peter and calls him Satan is because you're acting as a tempter. You're trying to tell me what I'm not going to do. And my purpose is to do what God sent me on this earth to do, which I left heaven to do for you. And you're not going to get in the way of my purpose. So therefore, you Satan. So therefore, when we tell Jesus what we're not going to do, Jesus looking at you is like, you're not going to tempt me away from my purpose. Get behind me. Satan, you acting like him because you're trying to tempt me away from what's going to save you. Oh, so therefore, I look at some of us and say, shucks. What have you been trying to tell God not to do for his purpose in your life? Because it doesn't match your purpose for your life. Which way have you been telling God you want to go? And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying some of us are that much bravado to go in our prayers and say, I ain't, this ain't going to happen. I'm just saying when you finish praying, some of us act like it's not going to happen. That we're telling God, that's not my purpose. That's your purpose. And Jesus is like, no, it's our purpose today. And it says, get behind me, Satan. And then he finishes off. Look, look, the, the contradictions are everywhere. Not contradictions. The, the imagery is ever, everywhere. It says this. You are a, watch this words, stumbling block to me. 
But what was Peter before that? A rock. Sometimes your blessings can become your dismay. He says what you are going to be is now in my way. Because a stumbling block is somebody who interferes in God's purposes. But a stumbling block can also work twofold. Because a stumbling block can hurt somebody else as well. Hear me. So I ask you a question. In your disobedience, when you say, God, what are you not going to do? You're not just hurting yourself. You could be a stumbling block for someone else. So youth, when you walk into your school and decide to cuss like everybody else, walk like everybody else, talk like everybody else, sing like everybody else, you think, oh, that's only affecting me. And God's like, no, you a stumbling block to everyone in that school. You getting in the way of my purpose. My purpose was to use you to save your school, and you're getting in my way. So then I ask you a second question. When your kids see y'all argue, cuss, push, move, table, furniture, you're not just a stumbling block to y'all's marriage. You're a stumbling block to the future marriage. You are in God's way of a future healthy marriage. Because that's what you, I didn't see that, that got a lot less class. You're like, I don't know about that. Man. Oh. <laughs> I mean, she, de- I mean, he deserved it. I, you know, sometimes the broom got to fly. Now, that's not it. When you lose your cool with your kids and you start calling them some names, you, you lost your temper. You the stumbling block now. You throwing a shoe, but that's really a rock. But let me define it better for you. A uh, stumbling block is in circumstance that leads and acts contrary to a proper course of action. So when you're a stumbling block, you are acting in contrary to God's proper course. So anytime you act contrary to what God has warned you and told you and says he's going to do, you are interfering with the proper course of action. So he went from a rock to a stumbling block. So therefore, I ask you, how many of you have went from a rock to a stumbling block? And you know how you do this? For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And I'm going to conclude with this last point. This is how you become a stumbling block. This is how you go into a versus battle with God. Is that you're setting your mind. But the word setting your mind means that I'm going to take my own side. It is saying that I know my own total of my mental and moral state is better than yours. So since I know my interest, I am setting my own interest over God's. It's because you don't concur with God. He didn't concur with Jesus dying because now let's get into the grit of the message. What did he want Jesus to do? He wanted him to be a Messiah who ruled on earth so they could rule right next to him. He didn't get the ruling would come in heaven. So since he couldn't get the message, he was like, well, God forbid it. May it never happen. And God's looking. I'm like, wait, if you want to rule one day, it has to happen. But because you rather have your own interest and guess what his interests were? Temporary. God's purpose is always eternal. So since he wanted to butt in and become a stumbling block, God's like you're interfering with an eternal purpose. So some of us would rather become a stumbling block because we want temporary fulfillment. We want the Messiah to do what we want for us on earth. And God's like, I've never looked at the timeline like that. 
I am timeless. So since I see it like that, even if you are suffering now, it's because you will rule later. So therefore, when you see Jesus making moves in your life that you don't like and you don't understand, just remember your reward was never supposed to be on earth. It was in heaven. But Peter had his interest in front of God's interest. And he was saying, you took the wrong side, Peter. Stop choosing your side. It never wins. But guess what? God's side is your side. You're fighting for a temporal purpose that you want your flesh to be satisfied because he's misinterpreting what it meant to be a rock of the church, isn't he? He's thinking we're going to rule this thing together. God's like, no, I'm prepping you so you can rule now. But remember, when you're the rock of this church, you're going to suffer. He was trying to help Peter lead well, and Peter rejected the whole message. But then he says, you not, don't have God's interest in mind. Have you ever noticed that nobody argued when they said, go get the mule? Hear me out. Remember Jesus is going on his triumphant entry? Have you ever noticed nobody argued when that happened? Like never, nobody, it didn't click for them. That his triumphant entry was to go die. Don't get the, get the mule that never been ridden. They put palm leaves in front of him. Everybody was liking that, walking next to Jesus as he made his entry into the kingdom of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Peter said, wait, 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 wait. You rode the mule to come die? I'm going to cuss everybody out. I'm going to pull out my sword and I'm cutting off ears. Because he didn't get the message. Some of us, we love it when we walk into when Jesus is ruling on high and them blessings flowing. When you get that new house and you get to take a picture and put it on Facebook and say, look at God, blessings on me. When your kids are on honor roll and you get to put the bumper stick on the back of the car because you know the struggles you've been through, you know the tutorials that kid had to go through, and know all the suffering you went through to pick him up late from school, you know all that, so you get to place that bumper sticker and you can say, God has blessed me with good children. It's not until that triumphant entry into his suffering do you really understand his purpose? That's God's interest. But God's interests are always your interest. You just got to put your interest to the side. Stop taking Jesus to the side and start listening to what he wants to warn you about. Because the same way you listened when God was saying that you're going to be a rock to the church, don't turn that around and become the stumbling block to the church. <laughs> I want to say that our versus battle always ends with a loss. But the worst thing I would want to happen to any of us is if Jesus looked at you and said, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if you've ever been to a gardening place, but um, I have. As you could tell, I'm not good at a lot of stuff, but I know how to dig a hole. But because I, my wife likes to garden, and I built her a planter's box, I'm trying, y'all. Anytime you see Monica post something we built, it's we. I, I never did that by myself because I'm not talented. Anytime you see something, she's like, look at what look at my hubby did for me. It was really like 60, 40, 50, 50. Like it wasn't, I, I really can't do that. But what I can do is dig a hole. It's a shovel. I told y'all a long time ago, this is how I flex my back in front of my wife so she can still see I got a little bit left. I got five muscles in the back. Front's kind of shaky. Back, just fine. So I, I dig different. You got to flex it. You throw the dirt, you got to throw it really far for no reason. Just, uh, I got it down. I'm good for it. 
But there are some problems when you plant things and you don't read the instructions. Because on that plant, it tells you where that plant belongs. It belongs in either mild temperatures, direct sunlight, not the direct sunlight. You tell I don't have, I don't know these words. It belongs where a place where it can get lots of water, can survive with little water. It tells you what it can do. But if you start planting and putting the plant where it doesn't belong, it's going to die. No matter how much you dig the hole. Some of us are digging holes. And we're putting things where it don't belong. And then wondering why certain areas in your life is dying. It's because Jesus tried to warn you on the tag. This doesn't belong in direct sunlight. This only can take a little bit of water or a lot of water. And God's sitting there telling you, hey, I'm trying to warn you about where you're digging your holes in your life. But if you just read the instructions beforehand and put it in its proper place, the plant's going to survive in your life. So, ladies and gentlemen, I ask what plant is dying in your yard? I ask what area in your life have you told Jesus where you're going to plant it? I start asking the question of did you think that was your lawn in the first place? Or do you need to go ask God where he wants his plant? Just like I told you, Monica tells me where to put the plant. I'm asking you to go back to God and ask him where he wants you to put his plant so you can have life. Stop versus battling with Jesus. It's going to die. Let's pray.